Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Jews in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in Omaha, and I'm joined with my co-host Liz Felstrin in Jerusalem. Liz and I today are going to talk a little bit about the Olympics and the impact that a gold medal winner is having in Israel. Liz, how are you? Hey, Alan. I'm great. Anything? I'm good. It's a little warm and rainy in Omaha. How's the temperature in Jerusalem? It is a lot warm and not rainy. Um, we're good. Yeah, we've had, things yeah, are good. We had a, we've had a couple of big storms. I really want to just talk a little bit in, in the beginning uh, about the Olympics. Uh, several weeks ago, when we had a podcast, we talked about the potential for Israel to do well in the Olympics, as well as other. Jewish athletes from around the diaspora that competed in Tokyo. Um, Israel got four medals. It's the most they've ever gotten in one uh, Olympic period, Um, two gold and two bronze. Is it exciting for Israelis to see the success of these athletes? It is. We're feeling very good about it. You know, um, there haven't been all that many medals in Israel's history at all. So to have four in one Olympic Games is a really big deal. And I think people enjoyed watching and and seeing how the competitions play out. There is definitely something, I don't know, satisfying maybe sounds a bit too mean, but there is something about unseating um, the 20 year history of Russians taking the gold medal in um, rhythmic gymnastics that you know, people were very excited about. And, also created some uh, resentment on the part of Russia. Uh, they were not. They yeah, were not they happy were losers. Not happy. <laughs> they were not happy. Um, but of course, you know, we think the judging was perfectly fair, and we're very happy about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looked it looked uh, pretty positive. Uh, there were it w- there were a lot of close. Um, close finishes as well. There was a swimmer that did pretty well. There was a marathon runner that did pretty well. Um, I think overall, you know, I think Israel had a good showing at the Olympics. I shared with you before that I was very excited about the Israeli baseball team. And I was able to watch a couple of those games. They had one win and um, I I thought they had a good showing. Uh, Next time I'll be better. But it was good to see that. I think also it's incredible if you think about the difference in size of Israel, of youth of Israel, we do not have a fortune of money backing these athletes at all. Um, and so for Israeli athletes to do so well is really impressive. I mean, they're, they're in a lot of ways, they're, they're working harder and, you know, and facing longer odds than some of the other athletes. So they really... They deserve a lot of credit for doing as well as they did. You know, we had issues with uh, even a few years ago with the Israeli Olympian wanting to sell his medal because he didn't have enough money. Um, so there, there have been real issues with athletes not being supported financially in Israel. So I, that they, is, that's too bad. I, le- I read yesterday that some countries are paying their athletes when they get a gold, silver, or bronze medal 
Um, I did not know that, um, that athletes got paid, but some countries pay really well. So maybe Israel needs to look at that incentive to boost participation and support of the athletes. Yeah, look, and maybe getting these medals will, you know, create a, an avenue for that. If, if the country sees it as something that people are rallied by and that it has a positive effect on the country as a whole, then it's something worth investing in. Uh, until now, that hasn't really been the attitude. It's sort of been upon the athletes to somehow finance their ability to compete. Some are supported by endorsements with shoe companies or clothing companies. Um, but I think you're right. The economics of the Olympics are pretty much the responsibility of the athlete and their families. And it's a big sacrifice. But when they win, it's great for the country that they're playing for. Yeah. I, I want to just jump on a couple of things. So I mentioned that there were Jewish athletes from around the world that also competed. Some did really well. There was a, a canoeist from Australia that won a gold medal. And Alex Kleinman, who was a, a volleyball player, a, a beach volleyball player, won a gold medal with her partner. Uh, Alex uh, was inducted to the uh, California Jewish Hall of Fame several years ago. So a, a proud Jewish athlete. It's exciting to see the participation uh, of, uh, of Jewish athletes around, around the world. Um, I think it might bode well for Israel if Israel is able to convince them to uh, play for Israel in the future, kind of like the baseball team. Yeah, the baseball team for sure is that model, right? I mean, I, I think nearly all of the players on the baseball, on Israel's baseball team are Americans. Um, but I'm glad they wanted to proudly play for Israel. Yeah. And they didn't do too bad. Uh, no, they did not do too bad. In Israel, when somebody wins a gold medal, there's a, a big fanfare. Well, they've only had a couple of gold medal winners to begin with, but when they win a, a medal, there's always a big greeting at the airport um, and real success in celebrating their win. Uh, any controversies that come with winning a gold medal that you're familiar with? Well, we actually, interestingly enough, had a little bit of a brouhaha with Linoy Ashram winning the gold medal on Saturday because she won on Shabbat. And um, our now leader of the opposition, Bibi Netanyahu, decided to call and congratulate her on Shabbat. And some of his ultra-Orthodox fellow members of parliament were very unhappy that he had placed this call on Shabbat and publicly chastised him for doing so and said that, you know, he ought to have waited until after Shabbat as um, Bennett and Herzog did, uh, which is just interesting, right? Only in Israel do you have a politician who is not religious calling to congratulate an athlete who is not religious, but somehow this is seen as problematic by other politicians. Um, it's just one of those, one of the many, you know, weird intricacies of the play between religion and state in Israel. So there's another one uh, that came out, uh, the mother of the uh, gold medal gymnast, um, Artem uh, Dokulbiet, mm -hmm. uh, his Dokulpiat. mother, 
Yaakov Piat, thank you. Uh, his mother came out and said, you know, my son won a gold medal for Israel, but he's unable to marry in Israel. What, what What's that about? Yes, this is yet another one of our strange, and, you know, on this one, I'm going to say in stronger language, you know, unfortunate and embarrassing uh, features of modern-day Israel. So, uh, so this athlete, and his parents moved from Ukraine to Israel, I believe in 2012, and they were allowed to do so according to the law of return. Um, the Artem's father is considered halakhically Jewish by the Israeli rabbinate, and his mother is not, but they were Jewish enough, right, to, to move to Israel. Um, his girlfriend, longtime girlfriend, is also not considered uh, Jewish according to an Orthodox understanding in Israel. And this leaves them with no way to officially wed in Israel because the only types of weddings that we have in Israel are religious. It doesn't have to be Jewish. It could also be Christian or Muslim, but it's got to be one of those three. And if you're not one of those three, you have to convert to one of those three um, or travel abroad to get married and then return to Israel and have it recognized as a civil union. But in terms of options to actually have a wedding, which I think could, one would argue is a civil right um, in Israel, there is not there. There are no options for someone who is not considered halakhically Jewish, but certainly is not interested in having a Muslim or Christian wedding because they see themselves as Jewish. Um, and that confluence of events that you could have someone representing Israel on the world stage whose parents picked up and left, you know, the former Soviet Union in order to come to the Jewish state to afford their child a better life in a Jewish country, and yet they can't have the wedding that they would like is really sad and unfortunate. And it's a situation that has existed for decades already. And Israel has not figured out how to solve it. Um, it could be solved quite easily if there was the political motivation to do it, right? There's no reason why the parliament cannot create an avenue for civil marriage. but. They haven't done it. So do you think that with a more progressive government right now, that that's something on the agenda to be able to offer civil marriages? I know that the majority of Israelis would welcome civil marriages. It is definitely something that is getting talked about of the eight parties that make up the current coalition. I think six of them have publicly stated that they are in favor of uh, creating a civil marriage option in Israel. Whether Naftali Bennett will decide that he wants to push this issue, we don't know yet. You know, he only has so much political clout. Right now, he's sort of riding high on the um, narrative of having been able to push a budget through the cabinet 
right? Not yet through the through the Knesset. That will take some time. It will only start to get looked at in September and needs to pass by November. But even having gotten it through the cabinet is something that has not happened, I think, since March of 2018. Right. So, you know, to, to have that kind of movement and progress that hasn't happened in three years is significant. I am. And I don't know how much he's looking to really push the envelope but we we Just talked that. we talked a couple of weeks ago about the change with judges rabbinic judges is that also an opening for this conversation around civil marriages it is part of the same you know genre of making amendments to some of these long standing issues and conflicts perhaps between Israel being a democracy and being a Jewish state. But some of those issues are easier to fix than others, right? Like we talked also about um, the change in terms of certification of, of kosher, of, of restaurants being kosher. And, and that change, that uh, breaking of the monopoly that the rabbinate has had over kosher supervision until now is significant, but it's not as big of an issue as marriage. Um, and I would say the same to a certain extent for judges. Like there are some issues that the ultra-Orthodox parties will not be happy about, but it's not the hill that they're gonna die on. Marriage could be, because in a country this small, when people are so interconnected, uh, to create a system where some marriages are recognized by some people and not others is is an issue. You know, it, it's not just walking into a restaurant and saying, I'll eat here, I won't eat here, or I'll eat here and my neighbor won't eat here. But when your kid wants to get married to the girl down the street and the two types of marriage can't, you know, be recognized or agreed upon by the two families, that's really a problem. Um, and so it, it will not be as simple of an issue to address as some of the others. So a, a lighter way to look at it, uh, and we can continue to have this conversation in future episodes, but was this uh, Artem's mother advocating for him to get married more than his uh, civil rights <laughs> to, to get married? Poor guy. He's only 24. His mother's <laughs> already pushing and pushing. Doesn't get more Jewish than that. Regardless of what the rabbinate says about her, <laughs> her religious persuasion, I am. Um, look, I mean, I I don't know if uh, how if he's also uh, keen to get married or if this is just coming from his mother, and that's you know one person in his personal issue. But the larger topic that this brings up is significant, and we're not talking about a small number of people. I think there's somewhere around three hundred thousand right um, Israelis who are in this situation who are, you know, certainly not some other religion, but they are also not recognized as Jewish. Um, so it's just one of the it's just one of the more complicated issues that Israel has to address. And in its infancy as a country, as a democracy, you know, it's only 73 years old. Um, you know, it has has to work on some things. I don't want to, you know, leave without mentioning the fact that Northern Israel was, um, uh, I wouldn't say attacked, but had some rockets launched into it from 
Lebanon. Um, mm-hmm. I think we'll talk about that in a future episode. But with the um, new leadership in Iran, was that an example, in your opinion, of Iran just sending a signal to Israel, you know, don't get too close, don't get too comfortable with what uh, the transition is going to be in Iran? We're still targeting you. Um, maybe. I mean, I cannot speak to like what terrorists are trying to get across. Um, I do think that it served as a little bit of a first test, right, for our current government to see how they would respond. Luckily, it didn't wind up being something that necessitated much of a response, at least at this point. And I think that's good because, you know, we got enough on our plate right now. We don't also need to deal with heavy rocket fire. Um, well, Liz, thank you for uh, your time today. I just want to give you a little bit of insight. We're, we're getting quite a few people listening to our podcast, which I'm excited about. It is exciting. I believe we have uh, jumped from 100 listeners to 150. We we have, yes, 150 yeah, downloads. Of our episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I will share with you, though, when I look at the statistics, when we interview people, those get a little bit more numbers of downloads than just you and me talking. So I think we should strategize a little. <laughs> no, please don't take it personally. It's more about probably me than <laughs> you. But uh, we should we should think cool. about inviting more people to our podcast. And if anybody's listening and they have suggestions of people that they'd like us to interview, please uh, send either one of us a, a note and we'll mm-hmm. reach out to those people. Uh, have a great week. Uh, we'll talk more next week. Uh, I would like to come back to the issues of the uh, that the coalition is working through and examine some of the benefits of the budget that they've been able to put through the, the, the cabinet and the tagline was this coalition in 36 days did something that the opposition couldn't do in 36 months. So mm-hmm. I, that's a yes. tagline. And also, just as a teaser, I am not only does this budget now exist and was passed by the cabinet as something that the opposition couldn't do. But it's also something that the opposition wouldn't have done, meaning that this budget does look quite a bit different than what a budget passed by that the previous government would have looked like had they been able to pass one. So so maybe we'll we'll, uh, spend some time talking about the high points of the uh, budget of Israel. Um, Mm -hmm. So with that, I want to thank our listeners. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Jews in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us. And um, the sports clearly binded us or bound us today. <laughs> the sports abounded and we were bound by them, yes. Okay, thank you and enjoy the rest of your week and the best to your family. Thanks, Alan. See you.